Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. Pure Dog Talk is proudly sponsored by Trupanion, medical insurance for pets. With over 1 billion, with a B, in claims paid, Trupanion has you covered. Whether you're a dedicated breeder, a loving owner, or both. Trupanion is also the first pet insurance provider to offer a special breeding rider that you can add to your coverage. That way, you know your dogs are covered from common health concerns associated with breeding and whelping. Like emergency C-sections, for example. Learn more about all of the perks that Trupanion offers breeders by following the link on my partner page at puredogtalk.com. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves, and I have with us again today, Dr. Marty Greer. And by special request from one of our Pure Dog Talk patrons, we are going to be talking about leptospirosis. And we've touched on this topic in other veterinary voice episodes, but we're going to do a deep dive today. And we're going to look at some of the serovars and all that that entails, diagnosing it, treating it, preventing it, all of the things. So welcome, Marty. Thank you. It's always good to be here. And this is a really important topic that I think a lot of veterinarians don't fully discuss with clients. So I think this is a great opportunity. I think it's awesome. So let's start at the top. And this is, again, so much of these conversations we have are based on my own life with dogs. I have had dogs that react to the leptospirosis vaccine. And so have many people I know. And so as a result, there was sort of this thought process that lepto isn't out there very much, blah, blah, blah. You don't really actually have to vaccinate lepto. So let's talk about that. Let's do a little bit of myth busting on that concept. Yeah. I think that's a great place to start. So years ago, leptospirosis was a pretty significant disease. And then we saw it kind of decline in frequency. And probably in the last decade or so, there's been a re-emerging of this disease. It's a bacterial disease. And there were some dogs that reacted to the lepto vaccine. And if a dog was going to react to vaccine negatively, it was probably either going to be lepto or coronavirus. So as a result, a lot of veterinarians and a lot of clients started to drop that out of their vaccine protocols. However, we do see lepto in our practice on a fairly regular basis. So when I hear practitioners, veterinary colleagues of mine say, we don't see lepto, the answer is, well, if you don't look for lepto, you probably don't see lepto. And that's a big concern that we have because we certainly see lepto in our practice and we're pretty forthcoming about talking to clients about the importance of the vaccine, the importance of testing, and the diagnosis of it. So yes, if you bury your head under a rock and you don't look for lepto, then you're probably not going to see it, even though it's out there. So unfortunately, there's a fairly significant number of lepto cases that get undiagnosed. And if you look through the list of symptoms, it's expansive. It is huge. 
causes vomiting and diarrhea and cough and high liver enzymes and elevated kidney values and respiratory disease and eye disease, infertility. So you can go right down the list. And if you look at the symptoms, it's anything that a dog can come in looking like. And so talk to us about, I understand or I am given to understand, and correct me if I am wrong, I am given to understand that leptospirosis is more common in some regions of our country than others, in some regions of the world than others. For sure. So as I was driving tonight, I was talking to my husband and he said, so the trivia that I know about leptospirosis, and the only thing he could really share with me was, what state do we most commonly see leptospirosis in? And when I was doing some reading, it's not just leptospirosis in dogs. What state is most commonly affected by leptospirosis in people? Do you know? I have no idea. It's Hawaii. Oh, interesting. So think about Hawaii. Think about the climate. Moist. Moist, damp, high humidity, alkaline soil. All of those factors contribute to leptospirosis being in the environment and therefore being something that we're exposed to. So Midwest... Southeastern states, of course, the more arid states like Arizona and New Mexico and California, those places tend not to have as much lepto because it's drier. And we most commonly see lepto about three to 18 months after significant flooding in an area. So keep in mind that Hawaii is the perfect climate for it and that after flooding, we can see increased incidence. And historically, we've always been taught as veterinarians that it's most commonly going to affect hunting dogs and herding dogs the dogs that are exposed to those kind of wet climates. It's spread through the urine of infected animals, but it can also stay in the environment for an extended period of time. So you think about places like Omaha that got flooded this week, and you think about places like the southern Michigan. tier states, <laughs> right? Michigan, Wisconsin, where we have standing water, significant amounts of flooding. What most people don't know is that Wisconsin actually has more lakes than Minnesota, the land of 10,000 lakes. Wisconsin <laughs> has more. So we have more lepto too, aren't we lucky? But it's also spread through wild animals and livestock and mouse and rat urine. So in cities where they have things like rats, like the rat population increased pretty significantly in New York City with the advent of COVID because the restaurants weren't throwing food out into the dumpsters. And so the rats had to relocate and find new food supplies. So there was an explosion of leptospirosis in people and dogs in New York City during COVID. Marty, I would like to catch that one second time you've mentioned it. Leptospirosis is a zoonotic disease, right? It is communicable from your animal to you. Yes. Or from the same source that your animal was in. Years ago, my sister had a cottage out on a lake in Wisconsin, and we were swimming, and on the side of the lake, we could see on the bank of the shore, there were cows that were grazing. And I'm like, oh, look, we're swimming in Lepto Lake. This is awesome. So I was thinking about that. Like, if you get sick after you're swimming in water that might be contaminated by livestock or other animal urine, you need to let your doctor know that. Those are really important things. We had a dog that came in many years ago with seizures. And I'm not sure exactly why we checked for lepto, but we did. I think the dog's liver enzymes were high. So we said, well, we should probably check for lepto. You know, just sort of one of those things. We should probably check for lepto just because we have to be complete and we need to be sure. And the dog's titer came back 1 to 55,000. I've never seen a titer as high as that. And I said to them, now you need to talk to your physician because I'm not allowed to make a diagnosis or treatment plan for a human. 
even though you're an animal, you're the wrong kind of animal. <laughs> so I have to send you to your doctor. And the physician that they went to was actually a friend of ours. And he said, oh, no, people don't get lepto. Well, that's not true. People do get lepto. Yeah. And there have been reports of people that work in kennels dying and farmers and veterinarians getting sick. So absolutely, positively, humans can get lepto, either from their animals, their pets, from hospitalized patients, or from livestock. If you walk through the barn and the cow urinates and the urine splashes like urine does in the barn, mm. it can cause an infection. So there's a lot of ways that people can be exposed to lepto. So if you have a possible exposure and you're not feeling well, of course, you need to let your veterinarian and your physician know. We actually had a client that came in again years ago who had a litter of puppies that got sick. And it was before she started coming to us and she had the puppies diagnosed positive for leptospirosis. And it is most common in puppies under six months of age because their immune system isn't as great yet. And she had taken the puppies to the veterinarian for a follow-up exam. And the veterinarian said, so how are they doing? And she said, they're doing better. And the veterinarian looked across the table at her and said, you don't look good. And she said, no, I'm not feeling at all well. And she said, you need to get to your doctor because actually the client had contracted lepto too. So please be aware that this is not a reason not to own a dog, but if you are ill and your dog is ill as well and you have similar symptoms that you need to let your physician know because leptospirosis is absolutely positively a zoonotic disease. So don't okay. forget to mention to your physician, my dog is sick or I've been around livestock or I've been swimming in a lake. There was actually an outbreak in one of the lakes in Madison, Wisconsin years ago where a lot of people got sick from leptospirosis. So it may okay. not be an outbreak. You may be the only person affected, but certainly let your physician know. All right. So it's zoonotic. It's scary. It kills dogs. It can kill people. Many years ago, most of us used what we called a seven-way shot. Distemper, hepatitis, leptospirosis, parvovirus, And we've all sort of gone away from that because of this sort of vaccine storm in our dogs. Talk to us about what your recommendation is for vaccinating when you have puppies that are going to go into new homes. I know what I do. I'm very curious to hear what your recommendation would be. Sure. So the recommendation is to not give leptospirosis vaccines to puppies under 12 weeks of age because it tends to suppress their immune system and they have a more difficult time reacting to the other vaccines. But 12 weeks and older, they should be vaccinated. It's a series of two vaccinations, two to three weeks apart. And we do recommend Lepto for all the puppies in our practice, unless the breeder has written into their contract not to do it. Now, years ago, leptospirosis used to be the most antigenic part of the vaccine, and it was the most likely to cause a reaction. And in dachshunds and pugs and some of the other small breeds of dogs, we did see a significant number of reactions. However, in the most recent years, the vaccine has had two serovars added to it. So there are now four instead of two serovars in the vaccine, which is good because dogs can get more than those four serovars, which is one of the reasons people are like, well, why should I vaccinate? You don't vaccinate for all of them. Well, there is probably cross protection. So at least you get some kind of protection. But over the last few years, the vaccines have been quote unquote cleaned up. So they're less antigenic, less likely to cause an adverse vaccine reaction. Can we still see them? Oh, yeah. The most recent one that I had was a bloodhound, not a small breed dog, not anything you'd expect. I had it in wire hairs. Oddly enough, I had a couple really serious lepto reactions in wire hairs. Yeah, but when you look at the disease, it's also very serious. And mm -hmm. there's four different types of descriptions of the disease. And one can be so per acute that before you can even see liver enzymes going up and kidney values going up and signs of illness, these dogs can die. It can be that sudden. 
So mm-hmm. I take lepto very seriously. The most recent and memorable case that we've had was a dog that was diagnosed two hours from our practice in a whippet, not exactly a hunting or sporting breed or herding breed. And the dog was diagnosed with kidney failure and was told there was nothing we can do. The dog is going to die of kidney failure. Just get over it. And fortunately, the family, the female owner in the family worked with a friend of mine and she said, no, 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 you need to get this checked out. So they came over on Halloween and they Mm. missed trick-or-treating with their little girl because they brought the dog in, did a test, found the dog had lepto. That was three years ago and the dog is alive and well. And believe it or not, living on KD, the kidney diet that Hills makes, the dog as a whippet is now a little chubby. Like, I'm pretty excited that I have a chubby dog that's got a history of kidney disease because the owners, they were told to give up and he is surviving and he's doing incredibly well. I see him twice a year, do blood work on him. He's doing fantastic. So there is a way to turn some of these dogs around. But what gets confusing is most people expect it to either be high liver enzymes or high kidney values and the dog's drinking a lot, urinating a lot, vomiting, diarrhea, fever, blah, blah, blah. But some of these dogs come in with symptoms of pneumonia. If they have pneumonia, the prognosis is much more serious than if they don't have pneumonia. But if you x-ray these dogs, a fairly high percentage, like 70% of them, have changes in their lungs from leptospirosis, and you don't really think of the lungs being part of that. We see dogs coming in with uveitis, inflammation of the eyes. We had a young dog that was diagnosed with that by the ophthalmologist, and they said, go get some blood work done. So absolutely, there are tests for this. So the tests there's a blood test and there's a urine test and there's an antibody test and there's a PCR test. So there are different ways to test depending on the symptoms that the dog is exhibiting and the stage of the disease. So if the dog is recently infected and not yet on antibiotics, doing blood and urine PCRs where they actually look for the protein of the bacteria is the most effective way to test. In a longer standing case where the dogs have liver enzymes going up and kidney values going up, then you probably want to do a blood test doing an antibody test. And the best antibody test is done at two tests three weeks apart where you do an acute titer and a convalescent titer looking for the titer to rise quickly over that three-week period of time. Now, while you're waiting for that to happen, you should not wait to put the dog on antibiotics. The recommendation is either amoxicillin, ampicillin, or doxycycline. You don't want to sit around and say, well, we'll wait for the second test and see how it goes. No, 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 no. Get the dog on antibiotics get the treatment started, whether it's your ophthalmologist or your general practitioner or an internist, whatever, but go ahead and get the antibiotics started. Batril is not recommended. A lot of people reach for Batril for serious infections, but it's either amoxy, ampicillin, or doxycycline that are the treatments of choice. And they're fairly long treatments. They are weeks long of treatment to make sure that we've cleared not just the acute phase, but the carrier phase where the dog would continue to shed the bacteria in the urine. So two kinds of tests, blood and urine, PCR and antibody. And you can get them both done. It's not that expensive to run both tests if you have a dog that's acutely ill. So it's a very effective test. There's also one that's done in-house, which is not quite as specific on the type of serovar. Like a snap test or something? Yeah, there's a snap test. But we in our practice like to send it to the diagnostic lab where they actually test for the six serovars and we can determine which serovar and what they're reacting to. And it's pretty interesting because if almost always if one is up, multiples are up because there's enough cross-reaction with the tests that you'll see both levels going up. So if you suspect it, if you think it, mention it to your veterinarian, mm-hmm. you know, just say, hey, you know, it's lepto possibility because it can cause almost any symptom that you can see a dog becoming sick from. Now, 
we're only talking about dogs here because cats almost never, ever, ever get lepto. So <laughs> I know this is a dog talk show, but I don't want to forget that there are people out there with cats and they're like, you didn't talk about the cat. Well, <laughs> Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. All right, guys, are you planning your next litter of puppies now that you've finished your owner-breeder-handled bitch? If so, the Embark for Breeders DNA kit can give you the genetic health test results that you need to make the right decisions for your breeding program. As the highest-rated and most accurate dog DNA kit on the market, thousands of breeders have trusted Embark to enhance their breeding program through screening for breed-specific genetic conditions, understanding traits, and identifying genetic diversity. Breeder tools include an easy-to-share OFA submission report, as well as understanding the potential coefficient of inbreeding in your projected litter. To save on the most accurate, most comprehensive dog DNA kit, visit EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders and use code PUREDOGTALK to take $20 off each kit in your order. That's EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders and use code PUREDOGTALK. Their world-class scientists and veterinary geneticists are standing by. All right. So what you're talking about vaccinations tracks with, I do, my puppies are 8, 12, and 16, and I do lepto as a standalone Mm -hmm. after their 16 weeks and before their rabies. That's how I run my series, but it sounds like you could actually do the lepto between the 12 and the 16 if you wanted to. Right. And we typically use it as a combination vaccine with our distemper and parvo. Some people prefer to pull it out. And if you do have a dog that has a reaction or has had a history of reactions, pulling it out and giving it as a separate antigen is a good idea. Or if you have a line of dogs like yours that you know have a tendency to react to it, pulling it out of that vaccine series is fine. But the most serious lepto infections that we see are in puppies under six months of age. So you don't want to wait too long. Got it. But by pulling it out, you have then been able to isolate which things that they're reacting to if they have a reaction. And you haven't overwhelmed them with so many antigens that their little bodies are just like, I can't do this. But on the other hand, the vaccine companies tell us that the fewer needles that you put into a dog, the fewer reactions that you see. So that's the benefit of doing the combination vaccine. So depending on your lifestyle, where the dog lives, what part of the country you're in, what your genetics are, what breed you have, there's a number of ways that you can craft a vaccine protocol that can all be very effective. But you need to think about it very carefully. Now, coronavirus, and I don't want to get too far off on this, but coronavirus, we rarely vaccinate for because that's another thing that we tended to see a lot of reactions to. So if you're doing corona too, you may want to think about whether you need to do lepto instead of corona or split them up somehow. So it depends. There are kennels that we do see corona in, so I do recommend it in those particular cases. But overall, corona is not one of the things we vaccinate for. But I am adamant in the Midwest, and the southeast part of the country, or in the bigger cities like New York, you really need to do leptospirosis vaccines because of the risk and because of the exposure levels. So talk to your veterinarian about where you live, what your lifestyle is, what your dog does for a living, and what your dog's genetics. If you have a dachshund, I might split it up. If you have one of Laura's dogs, I might split it up. (laughs) You know, it depends. So there's not a hardcore one-size-fits-all vaccination protocol 
And I think that's really important for people to realize that they can work with their veterinary professionals and craft a vaccine protocol that meets their lifestyle. The American Animal Hospital Association has a great lifestyle calculator for determining what vaccines to use. And we're also going to put up a link to the ACVIM, which is the American College of Veterinary Internal Medicine, on their consensus statements. So there's going to be some good resources on the website for them to take a look at so that they don't have to go Googling or ask Facebook friends what they think. Please, let's not ask Dr. Google. Let's ask Dr. Marty, because that seems like a (laughs) much better plan. (laughs) Well, I can send you to the right resources. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so Marty, quick then follow on. Your dog is affected. What are the treatment plans and what is the sort of prognosis? Sure. And like I said, pneumonia, the dogs with a respiratory disease have a much poorer prognosis. And of course, the higher the liver enzymes or the higher the kidney values, the more serious it is. But treatment basically is if the dog is dehydrated and ill and really sick, they need to be in the hospital on IV fluids so that they can be rehydrated. And some dogs will actually go into failure and their kidneys will stop making urine. So those dogs have to be on Lasix or another diuretic and IV fluids and really in intensive care. If you have a dog that's a milder case where they may just have some slight elevations of the liver enzymes, but they're eating and drinking and they're not really all that sick, or they don't have bad uveitis or bad pneumonia, then you may be able to just treat on an outpatient basis. There's some discussion about whether doxycycline or amoxicillin or ampicillin would be the first drug to use, depending on which practitioner you go to and what their opinion is. Then, of course, they're going to pick one of those two antibiotics. And then supportive care. So if the dog is vomiting, they get serenia. If the dog isn't producing urine, they get Lasix. If the dog has respiratory signs, they may need oxygen. So there's going to be some supportive care that goes with it, depending on the clinical signs and how sick the dog is. But primarily, we're treating with antibiotics. Oh, yeah. Antibiotics are absolutely the backbone of this. And culturing the urine, I forgot to mention that, culturing the urine is not a good way to find leptospirosis. Lepto doesn't grow well. It's a spirochete bacteria, which is a real bugger to grow on a plate. So if your dog has signs of a UTI and they don't grow anything on the culture plate, that doesn't mean that lepto has been ruled out. You still need to talk about lepto. So if you've got this little nagging voice in the back of your head that your dog isn't doing well, remember to discuss lepto with your veterinarian. And if you're sick, remember to talk about your dog's illness or your exposure to your physician, like power washing the kennel with a dog that has lepto, bad, bad idea. Super bad idea. You can just breathe it right in. It can break through mucous membranes. Lepto can enter the body through mucous membranes like your eyes or your mouth. Mm. It can break into cuts in the skin. So anything like that that your dog or you have are possible exposures. If you work at a veterinary clinic and if we have a lepto suspect in our hospital, there's big signs everywhere, especially if you're pregnant You have to be very, very careful. If you're immunocompromised, you have to be even more careful. So just be aware. My radiologist, the one that comes to our practice on a monthly basis, she's had three pregnancies. And during all three, of course, she was exposed to positive dogs for lepto. She would look at me and go, okay, you know, this dog probably has lepto because I'm pregnant, right? I'm like, great. Oh my gosh. Just be aware that it's very serious. So you don't want to take this lightly. No. And if you live in an area that it's a risk, vaccinate. It's not that expensive. It's absolutely worth splitting it up if you're more comfortable doing it that way. Mm -hmm. But don't leave your dogs unvaccinated. I see too many dogs that come through our door that people are like, hey, my vet said I didn't get that. Okay, seriously, it is in the Midwest. It is in the Southeast states. If you live in the high mountains of Utah, okay, fine. You're probably (laughs) 
right? You live in the Appalachians, you live in Florida, you live in New York City, you live in Wisconsin, Minnesota. Get that lepto vaccine. Get the lepto vaccine. Don't mess around with it. Well, and I know that you have mentioned this previously and other sources I've looked at have specifically talked about the flooding. I remember reading stories about the flooding when it was in Texas, remember, and it was so terrible and after Hurricane Katrina and all those kind of things. So I think that's really a big trigger for people to think about, don't you? Oh, absolutely. And actually, the leptobacteria vaccine tends to not give you a full 12 months of immunity. So one of my clients is pretty adamant that he likes to vaccinate in the spring and summer so that they get that six to nine months of protection. If you live in Wisconsin or Minnesota, you probably shouldn't vaccinate in December and January and expect a full year of protection. So they're going to have their immunity dropping off at about the time that the exposure is at the greatest. So if you're reluctant to do vaccines and you want to maximize your exposure and your success with your vaccines, then vaccinate in March, April, mm-hmm. right about the time that we start to see the wet grass and the standing water mm-hmm. and the urine and all those things. So just remember those little critters, those little cute things that come up into your yard during the night when you're not out Raccoons, there. Raccoons, possums. And then your dog goes out in the morning and the grass is dewy and it's all wonderful and it smells great. And they go out and roll around and lick the grass. And you think your dog's not exposed? Oh, yeah, you're wrong. They're exposed. Right. The time that we did talk about lepto, even just briefly, the thing that stuck with me is your conversation about raccoons and their little, what do you call them? Scratching posts or wherever it is that they go. Latrines. Yes. That freaked me out. Yeah. Yeah, if you really want to freak yourself out, take a look at the Center for Disease Control website on raccoon latrines, how to identify them, and how to disinfect them. It's very informative, very good, but lepto is definitely out there. And I I live in the country, you know? I have stuff like this happening at my house, too. Deer, all those cute little things up in your yard. Yeah, skunks, one of everyone's favorites. So all those cute little furry things that come into your yard at night, they are nocturnal, they're out there, and your dog knows they were out there. You hear your dog barking at 4 o'clock in the morning? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's because there's a critter in your yard, and they're just waiting to go out there and expose themselves. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Well, Marty, <laughs> thank you. Exposed to a raccoon. I'm just, the vision that just came into my head. I appreciate your time, as always, tremendously. You are a gift to our listeners, and I thank you. Thanks. So we'll have those two links on the website so people can take a look and get themselves educated about the things that they really should know about it. Like I said, Facebook's a great place to show off your show pictures, but it is not the premier place for scientific information. So please use the right person. That's exactly why we made Pure Dark Talk, and that is not a joke. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. We appreciate that about you. Excellent. All right, crew, let's share the love, shall we? Episode 500 is, oh my God, rapidly approaching. (laughs) And I was searching for inspiration on what to talk about in this episode. And I decided that there is nothing more inspiring to me than the stories you guys have shared about Pure Dog Talk and its impact in your lives. So it's decided. We're having a contest. What, what, what? Write your story for me to share on air as part of our historic number 500 celebration episode. All submissions will be judged by a panel of celebrity listeners. 
judges will select three stories to be included in part or in entirety in the episode. There's something you don't see every day. Episode 500 will air on October 25th. Deadline for story entries is October 1st. Submissions should be sent to Laura at puredogtalk.com. I can't wait to share the love. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our dog show superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk. 